Come on in, sit back and relax. You're listening to episode 180 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. This podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. My guest for this episode was Phil Taylor, President and Chief Analytics Officer of FinMason. Now, Phil has been at FinMason for four years, but before that, he was Managing Director, Head of Capital Markets Desk at Lazard, Managing Director of Global Arbitrage and Trading at RBC Capital Markets, and Portfolio Manager for International Strategies at the Paladin Group. He was also Chair of the Board and Director of the CFA Society of New York. Interesting fact, Phil received his bachelor's and master's degrees, both from Cambridge, in, and they were in mathematics, or maths, as they like to say in England. One of my biggest takeaways from this interview was that FinMason is almost totally API-driven. 75% of their revenue comes from clients who access their services completely via APIs, which we find to be very cool since we are very integration-oriented and are very excited by companies that are opening up their services through APIs. And if you are an executive of a wealth tech firm that's selling software to RIAs, broker-dealers, asset managers, TAMPs, or others, then you should run, not walk to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and fill out the Get in Touch form on our homepage. Our industry experts can deliver a wide range of advice, including competitive analysis, new product evaluations, market insights, strategic advice, client buying decisions, integration development services, that's new for us, and a whole lot more. Every vendor needs these things to be successful, especially when entering new markets. And you can get on the right track by going to EzraGroupLLC.com. One quick quick housekeeping note before we continue, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Now, let's kick this thing off. All right. I am excited to introduce our next guest is Philip Taylor, President and Chief Analytics Officer from FinMason. Hey, Phil. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Craig. Happy you can make it here. Uh, Where are you calling in from? I am in Short Hills, New Jersey. Love it. Love another New Jersey guy. I'm in uh, Woodbridge myself. We're just so close. We should have met in person for this, but we're virtual. We are on Zoom, which is the way we record our podcast. So we'll just have to deal with this. We'll meet for coffee some other time. You are at FinMason, and if you could help us out, understand a little bit more about what FinMason does. Can you give us a 30-second elevator pitch, please? Yeah, absolutely. So we built FinMason in order to be able to provide investment institutional grade analytics to every investment application. What we've built here is a very large, scalable and lightning fast and easy to implement API solution that makes adding investment analytics to your application quick, easy and cost effective. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you was because of your APIs. And here at Ezra Group, APIs are a big part of our one of our business lines, which is our wealth tech integration score and a lot of the integration work we do. And we're doing a lot of work to help help fintech firms build out APIs, uh, robust APIs, which you guys have already done. So you're really ahead of the game, ahead of the curve. So we wanted to talk to you about them and really sort of dig in deep to how they work, who's using them, what are they being used for, some of the trends you're seeing. So we can start like, why did you build them? What was the, the impetus behind that? And how long ago was that? So we, we started on our APIs about seven years ago. Uh, so we, we really were very, very early to this game. Uh, and as, as far as why we built, we just recognized that there was a need out there. Uh, firms were building investment applications, and every time they built one, they figured out 
what kind of data do I need? Where am I going to get, get it from? How can I consume that data? And then how can I calculate analytics on top of that data? And that's all very, very time consuming. So with the APIs we've already built, we've essentially just solved that problem ahead of time for our clients. And now they can deploy solutions in a couple of months instead of a year or two. So speed to market was one area. And also be able, be able to access your services through any front end they wanted to without having to go through your front end. Exactly, exactly. What what types of data and what types of services can your clients get access to through your APIs? Um, so our library has over 1,100 different analytic data points. Um, so we've usually got everything that most of our clients need as far as investment analytics for their platforms. But on top of that, our architecture allows us to quickly and easily add new and custom analytics for our clients. And is there a, a sandbox that developers can use to test the APIs? Yep, absolutely. And is there sample code that they can download to just get access without having to write it from scratch? Yep, exactly. We offer the code out and in about seven different languages. So pretty much everything that people are using out there. Uh, and it's it's pretty much a simple cut and paste into their application to get up and running. Excellent. And those are the kind of questions we ask all the vendors when we were building out our integration score, because a lot of vendors don't have that. They may have APIs, but they're not really well documented. There's no sandbox. There's no sample code. So they're almost impossible to use without that type of support. How are your clients using these APIs? Can you give us some examples? Yeah, so we're actually... We actually keep finding new use cases for the API. It's It's been a really interesting journey. So we have clients using it for portfolio construction systems, proposal generation systems, risk scoring, ESG scoring, security master, compliance, and even some insurance calculators. So portfolio construction is the most obvious because you've got a lot of investment analytics tools. So advisors... When they're building portfolios, they need to do the investment analytics and search for different securities and meet different criteria. Is there anything interesting about how your portfolio construction data is being provided, or rather how your investment grade data is being provided to firms when they're building up portfolios? No, I think we've just got a very complete solution. and We provide a very complete uh, picture of, of a portfolio and its different risks involved in that portfolio. And that's really the piece that, that we feel is often missing, particularly on the wealth applications. Most wealth advisors don't have a real, really clear picture of risk in the portfolio and where those risks are coming from. And obviously that's a huge hazard because then something unexpected happens, you don't have an opportunity to prepare your client ahead of time for what, what, might, what might come about. And if they're prepared ahead of time, usually you can write that, you know, those tough times out much more easily. So some firms, uh, either other fintechs or other wealth management firms, what's the breakdown? How many firms are wealth management firms building their own tools versus fintechs taking advantage of your tools to integrate to their own software? Uh, most of our clients are institutional. We, have, we do have a couple of other fintech software providers, but mostly we're finding that uh, our institutional clients are building their own platforms and using us to, to power them and make it easy for them to do that. Interesting. And with proposal generation, how does that work? So there's a lot that can go into a proposal process. Which aspects of your tools and your data is being fed into that? Um, it, it's really a complete proposal. So, you know, obviously the, uh, the wealth advisor has taken all the client's information and, and gotten 
up to speed on, on what they need. And then they're coming out and proposing a solution for them, a portfolio that's going to you know, hopefully solve their problems and uh, while having an appropriate level of risk and also allowing the client to then really understand that portfolio. And we do focus on a lot of analytics that are very easy to explain and understand. Oh, how so? Um, well, we use a number of different uh, ways of doing that. We do have what we call our FIN score, which is a simple one to 100 risk score. So everybody can say, hey, I'm a 50 or I'm a 70. And where, where should I be on that spectrum? And where are other people in similar situations? There's a number of companies out there that offer those types of scores. We do as well. Uh, and But we have the other thing that we have, which which I like a lot, is that we have our scenario scoring. So we could tell you, for example, well, hey, I've got my portfolio. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit concerned that what's going on right now is pretty similar to the 2000 you know, dot-com crash. Well, if I'd owned this portfolio through that dot-com crash, what, what would I have experienced? How much loss would I have, have experienced? And you know, we can come back and say, well, if that exact event happened again, you would have a 15% loss in your portfolio. Okay, well, we can talk about that now. Is that okay or is that too much? Or could I take a little bit more risk? So your APIs allow your institutional clients to send a portfolio to your system and it'll analyze it based on different scenarios and and provide back what the return would be in that scenario. Exactly, yeah. Sounds really useful. So it's also stress testing? Yeah, exactly. So stress testing scenarios, risk scoring, we, we can break down the portfolio in terms of which countries it's invested in, which asset classes, and so on and so forth, um, to really dig down under the under the cover and see what's inside these portfolios. So portfolio exposure yep. to different countries. Can you also do different sectors? Yep, exactly. Sounds really useful. And so we've got portfolio construction, proposal generation, risk scoring, which is part of proposal generation. And then you mentioned uh, ESG scoring. So mm -hmm. you provide the data yourself or do you have uh, different sources to, where you provide the data like MSCI and others? Yeah, um, so we, we we are working with a number of the providers, but we specifically partner with a firm called Owl Analytics. They have a really interesting approach, which is that they have consensus scoring. So rather than having one methodology, they take pretty much everybody else's scores and come up with a consensus across the industry. Oh, I know them very well. I had Ben Webster on the podcast back in May. Yep, he's a good guy. Very good guy. And it is interesting about how they do their consensus scoring. Although I'm uh, ESG scoring data is a bit of a, a pet peeve of mine just because it's so varied. You've got across like Moody's, S&P, Morningstar, MSCI, the same company can be ranked a one or a 10 in the same category with different sources, which makes absolutely no sense. So the problem I have is not that it's, it's a good, people want to be, it's a good intentions. You know, it's a fallacy of good intentions. Just because you have good intentions doesn't mean it's going to actually do good. Yeah, exactly. And But that's why we like the consensus approach, because it, mm -hmm. it does kind of solve that problem. Indeed. And now about moving on to uh, compliance. What kind of compliance tools do you offer through, through your APIs and how can they get access to them? Yeah, so the, uh, the most common way people use our compliance, uh, users for compliance, is to take, for example, you know, an advisory firm's entire book of business, right? And they could say, well, we've indicated in our system whether a particular client is a conservative investor or an aggressive investor, for example. And then we can compare that to our risk scores and see if somebody's drifted out of compliance. Because it's very common when a portfolio is created initially for a client 
to make it exactly appropriate for them. But sometimes there isn't as much monitoring over time. Um, you know, maybe the wealth advisor meets with that client every year. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, things can happen. People can buy or sell securities. The market can move. They can have withdrawals or additions. And this way, it allows the compliance group to see if any of those portfolios have drifted out of the appropriate risk level. So that's, that's super important. I know a couple of other firms are doing something similar, looking across the entire book of business. But how do you do that via APIs? How do you send the entire book of business via an API? Well, you just send each portfolio. And because our uh, API is so fast, it's very easy to do that. We have a number of clients who send us over 100,000 portfolios, and it processes in just a few minutes. Is it 100,000 portfolios every night? One of them does it weekly, but they could do it nightly. It's you know would be fine. So it only takes a few minutes to, to shoot over 100,000 API calls, right? They're, they're pushing that data to you. Yep. It takes you a few minutes to process all 100,000 and send them back. Exactly. Now, that sounds like it's going to be expensive because do you charge a fixed price or are you charging a number of API hits per, per month? Yeah, so we, we have a number of different pricing models because we want to, to make it appropriate to our clients' needs. But in general, it's an a la carte pricing model, which means you know, you're only paying for the analysis you're getting, not paying for some, some great big package of stuff that you're not using. That's one way to look at it. The um, right, well, having a varied pricing model is always useful because different firms have different needs. And you mentioned insurance. What type of insurance calculations can we get through your APIs? Yep. So we've built some custom tools for a couple of our insurance clients. For example, there's one that calculates the value of doing a 1035 exchange into an old from an old annuity into a new annuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a very popular transaction these days principally because annuity fees are coming down uh, from where they used to be. And uh, another one is a tax deferral calculation. So it shows the value of of entering into a tax deferred investment over a traditional one. Also sounds very helpful. I can see how a firm would build out some tools for advisors or or agents and offer them these little calculators as part of an advisor workstation or a dashboard or something like that. Yep. Do you ever get involved in the front-end development or, or what type of front-ends are, are your clients plugging these APIs into? Yeah, so we have a mix there. You know, about 75% of our business is just our API business where we're just providing the analytics to front-ends that other people are building. We do have a design team as well, so we can help out uh, with those with those builds. What are, what are some of the things you're seeing across the, the 25% of clients that are, or 25% of your revenue, where you're designing it? Um, yeah, it's really the same same set of stuff. <laughs> Workstations, dashboards, yep. widgets. Yeah, portfolio construction, and insurance calculators. You know, it's it's the same set of stuff, whether they build it or we build it. Can you share any of the uh, other FinTech vendors that are using your APIs? Um, you know, I'm not, I guess it's, I'm not quite sure who's defined as a fintech vendor, but, you know, one would be a company called Tolerisk. I've heard of them. They're also New Jersey based. So they have a very, uh, very good um, uh, risk scoring uh, methodology for scoring the investor rather than scoring the portfolio. So it was a natural fit for us to work with them since we can score the portfolio. Yeah, I know Mark. Um, Tolerisk pretty well. Yeah. I've been following them for a while. Anybody else? I'm racking your brain. Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm a tough question. Yeah, uh, no, it's okay. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any others 
you know, apart from a partnership with OWL and, and Tolerisk that I can mm -hmm. think of that. What are the trends you're seeing in the data and functions that clients are getting from your APIs? Is it moving in one way or the other, or are they using which? What are they using more of or less of? That's changing over time. Yeah, I mean we're adding functional functionality all the time. Obviously, uh, we keep evolving and, and growing our capabilities. So this past year, we've added the ESG scores, we added a portfolio optimizer, and also, as I mentioned, the tax deferral analyzer. This year. In our pipeline, uh, we're looking at adding cryptocurrencies, uh, direct indexing, and private assets, and those are all because you know that's what our clients are asking for. That's interesting. So, I mean, but those are the hot topics: crypto, direct indexing. Did you say probate assets? Pri private assets. Oh, private assets. Sorry, private assets. Yeah, I mean, those are all hot. I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot more of. Of course, even with the crypto crash, there's still a lot of interest in cryptocurrency. We're still doing some some work on that. Of course, direct indexing peaked, I think, peaked a little bit in terms of the excitement in the market as a lot of firms were acquired. Are you seeing the direct indexing being used mainly for ESG purposes or for tax purposes or, or something else? Um, I'd say mostly for, mostly probably for tax purposes, yeah. If people ask us a lot about where we see a lot of these things going on, on direct indexing, that sounds to me like something, at least seems to be something that's going to become ubiquitous. And as because everyone seems to be interested in it, but it's not something that clients are asking for. No client walks into their advisor and says, I want a direct indexing product. They just say, well, I have these needs, you know, or the, or the advisor goes, no, you're, you're too small for an SMA where you can save money or you can have tax, uh, ish tax advantages in a mutual fund, like a pooled investment vehicle, whereas direct indexing can give you that even without having to have a $250,000 minimum investment. Exactly. So yeah, I do see it becoming more ubiquitous and more firms being able to get it through you. So when they when they are using your API, what do they get on run direct indexing? Can they open up an account or it's more just here's a portfolio now turned into a basket and with, with this much money and this much this kind of a model? How does it work? Yeah, we we're just providing the the suggested portfolios. Interesting. So is it based on you know, they give you the index and then say, here's the assets we have available. Oh, yeah. here's how much money you want to put in. They'll give us back the portfolio, fractional shares and such. Exactly. Yep. That sounds cool. Can they restrict, can provide client restrictions saying hey, we want this direct index, but we don't want any military stocks. That's that's something we will be adding. Yeah. Oh, and we I know we used to have uh, a long time ago, they used to get feeds of all these different securities that you know fit into different categories. So that'll come from the ESG providers as well. Like an owl will say, here's the, the, the securities that meet these different criteria. Exactly. You know, companies that use involved in tobacco or, you know, cheap labor in, you know, third world countries and all, all of those sorts of criteria. Indeed. And when it comes to crypto, what types of things will your APIs be able to provide? Yeah, it's, it's really just adding them into our core functionality. So what we want to, what the ask that we've been given is, you know, the advisors are coming to us and saying, well, you know, a good number of our clients now have, you know, a traditional investment portfolio of maybe some mutual funds, ETFs, maybe even some, some single stocks, but now they've got, you know, some percentage, five or 10% in crypto, and we still want to be able to give them a complete picture of their portfolio. So that begs the question of how do you risk score crypto? Um, you know, most of our risk scoring is just done based on historical performance and and uh, you know risk levels. And we have a we also break down everything into our sixteen factor macro model uh, determines the sensitivities of the portfolios to the major macro factors. 
Interesting. I made a joke a couple of years ago. I was at a, another vendor conference and they were talking about adding crypto to their risk assessment tools. And I said, here's the risk assessment for all crypto. It was nine, 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 nine. Exactly. That sounds like something. Certainly high, but I guess, I guess in, if you, you know, get out your, uh, you know, CFA handbook, you'll, you'll find that, you know, even, even adding a small amount of a diverse, diversified asset can actually reduce your risk, right? So maybe it's, I don't know what that number is. That's something we're, we're going to take a look at, but you know, what's the ideal amount of crypto? I, I'm guessing it's somewhere between three and 5%. Or at least one or two, as Rick Edelman has been promoting that everyone exactly. should put one or two percent of their assets into crypto. Exactly. More yeah. diversification. Yeah. And with private assets, you already support some annuities. Are there any other private assets you can do structured products, anything like that? Yeah, we can do structured products. And and then we're also you know, we find that a lot of the clients also say, well, you know, we've got a uh you know, a client who owns their own business, and that's forty percent of the portfolio. So, how do you figure that into uh, you know the the risk overall? Well, how um, do you? I mean, most of most for, most portfolio management platforms allow generic, manually entered holdings. So, if you say, well, they have a yacht and it's worth a million dollars, just manually put that in. But how do I how do I pass that into an API? Yep. So that's exactly what we're going to you know add the ability to do. And whatever information that they have, they'll be able to send in and then we'll, you know, work on, you know, building that into the portfolio risk assessment. And that's gotta be hard. So would you would you be bringing in valuation data for they could ask they could have a yacht, they could have cars, they could have I've seen you know tools that track, you know, for very wealthy people, they might have a, a collection of handbags that are worth millions of dollars. How would you track that? I mean, how would how would that work? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, what we'll do is we'll look for an appropriate proxy. So obviously you can look for things like, you know, companies that invest in private assets that are publicly traded or funds that are invested in private assets that are publicly traded, not so much in the US, but but overseas those exist. Mm-hmm. So you can you can take a look at the, you know, the risk in those proxy assets and that that's generally our approach. It's complicated. We, you know, we've we've worked with a lot of half our clients are the institutional side, broker dealers. Or large RIAs, RIA aggregators, asset managers, the other half are fintech firms. We do get a had a number of alternative investment platforms come to us uh, looking for advice and strategy around private assets and, and some specifically around fractionalizing the ownership of boats and cars and other art and other things. Yes. It does seem like an area that's poised for growth. Yeah, I think so. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to discuss before we wrap things up? No, I think uh, it was a great pleasure speaking with you and appreciate the opportunity to to join you. Absolutely. So where can people listening find out more information about FinMason? Uh, just come to finmason.com. And if you want to get in touch with us, there's a uh, contact us on the website. Perfect. Philip, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Hey, it's Craig again, and here are my top three takeaways from this interview. Boy, I love FinMason's API set. Um, we've evaluated over 300 vendors on the Keytis Ezra Group map and their and their integration capabilities, including um, hard-coded integrations as well as API capabilities. And FinMason is doing really well. Um, as you heard, they offer over a thousand data points. Uh, their clients can use them for services like portfolio construction, proposal generation, risk scoring, 
uh, ESG scoring and compliance. Um, their pricing is a la carte, and uh, 75% of their revenue is through APIs, uh, which is really fascinating. It really shows, um, I think this is really the future of more wealth tech revenue from more firms. They should look at how they can deliver um, data and services through APIs into other systems. It's going to make it easier for advisors to work. It's going to make things more seamless. And it's going to make, it's going to give more power to the wealth management firms themselves since they can have more control over the user interface and just bring in different services through APIs. Um, some of the trends they're seeing uh, are clients getting data from their APIs for, uh, they added ESG and a portfolio analyzer. And some of the future capabilities they're adding include crypto, direct indexing, and private assets. That's it for this episode. You made it to the end. Thanks for listening. Uh, please go to our website, ezragroupllc.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll receive an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, analysis, information, and you will not be disappointed. Thanks again for listening, and talk to you all again next time.